You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Ulster Bank. Hello, listeners. My name is Anne-Marie Butler, and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode seven in our podcast series, Experts in Their Field. For International Women's Day 2021, ASA is delighted to feature a truly inspirational woman, Una Dillon. An agriculture graduate, originally from Carlow, now living in Cuffs Green, County Kilkenny, with her husband Pat and their three sons, Una shares her insights from a life steeped in agriculture and science, to her passion for primary school teaching and her life-changing diagnosis in 2019. On behalf of ASA, I would like to sincerely thank Una for chatting with me for International Women's Day 2021. We wish her and her family every good wish, health and happiness for the future. Hi Una, uh, many thanks for taking the time to chat with me on our ASA podcast, Experts in Their Field this afternoon, Una. Uh, I'm certainly delighted to have this opportunity to chat with you for International Women's Day 2021. We have lots to discuss, Una, and lots of interesting topics, but I think it's a uh, Always useful for our listeners if we we go back to 1997, you graduated from UCD with your degree in agriculture. You might tell our listeners about your early formative years, Una, and how you ended up studying agriculture in UCD. Thank you, Anne-Marie, and thank you for having me on your podcast. I grew up on a dairy farm in Ballon, County Carlow, with my parents, four sisters and two brothers. Growing up, we spent a lot of our time playing outdoors, And as I got older, I began helping out more on the farm and developed a real interest in cows and milking. My dad won Family Farm of the Year and numerous quality milk awards. As a family growing up, we had a great pride in the farm, keeping it tidy, being mindful of the environment and producing top quality produce. We worked hard, but we enjoyed it. When it came to deciding what to do after my leave insert, I tied with the idea of studying ag science in UCD or pursuing a career in primary school teaching. I decided to go to UCD and study ag. And you certainly, Una, came from a strong farming family and awards and a great foundation in agriculture. Looking back on your time in UCD, you know, what would have been the most enjoyable part or parts of the degree for you? Or, or what are your fondest memories of your time in Belfield? I suppose for me, without a doubt, the, the most enjoyable part of my ag degree were the people. When I started ag, I was a real home bird and going up to Dublin to study was equally terrifying and exciting. However, it didn't take me long to settle in and make friends, many of whom I'm great friends with to this day. Anyone who did ag knows the great sense of camaraderie and bond among fellow ags. We studied and made sure we passed our exams, but equally we enjoyed the social side of college life. My sister Mairead was a year behind me in ag, so it was lovely to have someone from home up with me in UCD also. I have many great memories from those four years. I'm sure there was lots of good places you are, Una, and it's, it's, I suppose it's a, it's a great feedback from all ags on the happy memories and the great friends. So I suppose it's always good to hear that and to, to reach back to the people that were with us back then and that are still our friends. And you mentioned there, Una, at the start that you tied between the idea of studying ag and becoming a primary school teacher 
so I suppose it was no surprise then when you finished in UCD, you decided to progress and qualify as a primary school teacher. You might tell us, Una, was there any skills you brought from your ag degree into that primary teaching and into your further qualifications? Um, yeah, so there were, um, yeah, after I finished my um, ag degree in 1997, I still had a grow for primary teaching. So at that stage, I applied for the postgrad in primary teaching and received my qualification from Marino Institute of Education. I enjoyed bringing many elements of my ag degree into my teaching. The STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering and maths were becoming an integral part of the curriculum in primary schools. And I was able to use my skills and knowledge in these areas in the classroom. A big emphasis is placed on these subjects as they play a fundamental role in Ireland's future success as a country in terms of innovative capability and global competitiveness. So ten, 10 years after I finished my ag degree, I found myself back in UCD studying again. This time I completed a postgrad in special education. Over my years teaching in the classroom, I became acutely aware of children's varying needs. And no more than anyone in their profession, I was always interested in continued professional development and continually strive to keep up to date with new ideas and best practices. For a number of years now, I'm working in St. Aidan's National School in Kilmanagh, which is about five miles from our home. I'm part of the special education team there. We work very closely alongside class teachers, parents and outside professionals. We use a wide range of teaching approaches, methodologies and resources to cater for particular learning styles and a variety of needs. I love teaching. Personally, I find it very rewarding. And it's, it's great to hear, Una, the, the, the blend from all your time studying all the different courses and how that has come into the classroom. And I know um, very well how passionate you are about teaching and how lucky your students are to have you. But like every good story, um, Una, love brought you to Kilkenny. So you've gone from Ballin to Kilkenny. Um, you're living on a progressive dairy farm with your husband, Pat, um, your sons, Connor, Andrew and Harry, and your stepson, Oshina, a very important part of that. But you might just tell our listeners, Una, a little bit about your unique wedding experience before we talk about farming. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Um, yeah, we've, we got married out in Kenya. Um, Pat's uncle, Father Michael Dillon, was a priest with St. Patrick's Missionary Society in Kiltegan in County Wicklow. And he had spent 55 years working on the missions in Kenya, building churches, schools and health clinics. Both Pat and I greatly admired him and heard so many stories of his experiences in Africa that we felt it would be the perfect place for us to get married. Father Michael was working in a village called Chepanyal in West Bukot in Kenya. It was here we got married on Christmas Eve in 2006. It is a very remote, picturesque area perched about 7,000 feet above sea level in the northern Rift Valley. People lived in mud huts with no running water and no electricity. They grew maize, which was their main diet, and they kept a few cows and goats. At the time, the children were the first generation to be educated. On our arrival to Chepanyal, we received a huge welcome. The locals were privileged that someone in Father Michael's family would come over to their village to get married. On the big day itself, the locals turned out in huge numbers, with many walking for hours to the church. 
The ceremony, which lasted five hours, started with Pat being escorted into the church by the local chiefs. I was then escorted into the church by a group of ladies and girls in a slow moving singing and dancing train. The ceremony was a mix of local traditions of song and dance and our typical Catholic blessing. We had the most incredible experience of our lives. It really brought home to us how these people have so little in material terms, but yet their lives were so rich. It's, it's truly a remarkable experience, Una, for anyone to visit, but let alone to have your wedding there. And I think it would be remiss of me not to highlight, you know, the achievements of Father Michael in his 55 years and, and all that he brought to the area. So it's a wonderful memory to have. And it's certainly a great start in life. Um, and I suppose I commend Pat on yourself on taking that trip. And I, as I said, I know you have super memories. So you find yourself then in Cuffs Grange, Una, um, a strong farming part of Kilkenny. As I said, your sons, Connor, Andrew, Harry, your stepson, Oshin, uh, a key part of, of all the family and all of Cuffs Grange and obviously your husband, Pat. So you might tell us a little bit, Una, it is now February, it's springtime on farm. Farm is busy with lots of new life and energy. So you might just tell us a little bit about the, about the farm. Yeah, we run a spring calving dairy farm. We're milking 150 cows supplying Glanbia. Um, they're, milking, they're milking about 530 kilos of solids per head and all replacements are, all replacement stock are contract reared. So yes, at the moment, um, it is a very, very busy time. Um, it's all, hand on ha all hands on deck every day um, down at the farm. And I suppose it's good as well to recognise that, that Pat, yourself and, and the family and farm, you were part of the Chagas Columbia Monitor Farm Programme from 2015 to 2018. So the farm is certainly steeped in science and advice. And, and I suppose that science and advice is something that Pat most certainly has taken on board. The farm, I know, Una, has undergone plenty of developments in particularly the last 10 years, but over, I suppose, generations. And we, we acknowledge Pat's family in this um, also. But you might tell us how important is science in the dairy farm management or the dairy farm operation for, for Pat and G on farm? Um, yeah, firstly, I'd just like to say that we were delighted to take part in the Chagas Lambia Monitor Farm Programme for four years from 2015 to 2018. And we greatly benefited from the expert advice we received. Um, we made many developments in the farm during that time. Um, firstly, improved cow performance. The cows are more, the, the calving is more compact and we're producing more kilos of solids from grass. Secondly, improved grassland management. We are growing a lot more grass. We're measuring the grass, but we've also focused on reseeding and improving soil indexes. Last year, we grew 15 tonnes per hectare. And thirdly, the place is more labour efficient. We have increased cow numbers, but making time for family life away from the farm is also very important to us. As you said, Anne-Marie there, science plays a huge role on the farm um, on a day-to-day -day basis. A big emphasis is placed on measuring grass, which in turn has many benefits. It enables us to determine grass supplies, improve grass quality, enhance animal performance, and increase the stocking rate. In addition to this also, cow fertility and optimum calving patterns significantly impact on profitability 
and the capacity for efficient production of milk from grass. It, it truly is a farm, Una, where knowledge transfer is at key, where Pat, yourself and family have you know, taken the Chagask advice, the Lambia advice, um, and taken it on board. And I suppose you're living that every day, which can be seen there through, you know, 530 kilos of milk solids, 15 tons per hectare of grass grown. A truly phenomenal and, and wonderful to see and testament, as I said, to all of the family. So well done to all. And certainly goes back when it's plenty of your days in UCD and, and grass measurement and budgeting. So, so great to see. Obviously, it's great also for Connor, Andrew and Harry. They're, they're living on a farm and seeing you know, the efficient conversion of that grass to milk. But just tell us a little, Una, how important is rearing a family on a farm for you? Um, I think it's a great opportunity um, for children, especially in the current climate of COVID restrictions. The boys have a lot of space and freedom and are certainly never bored. During the first lockdown last March and this lockdown, the farmers provided great structure to their day. They get up early in the morning and do an hour or two farming before sitting down to their desks for homeschooling. Spring is a very exciting time on the farm with the arrival of new life. And the boys love being out and about. They love animals, be it cows, calves, hens, birds, dogs, cats, and they're developing a real interest in machinery and driving also. I'm very conscious of farm safety and continually endeavour to create an awareness in them of dangers on the farm. Of course, boys being boys and the ages that they're at, they, they don't see the danger in anything. So it's important to, you know, to be out with them on the farm and to keep an eye on what they're up to all times. Very good. And as you said, they're, they're three sporting active lads. So I'm sure they're looking forward to getting back to their, their, their hurling and all the other sports and bits that they're involved in. I suppose, Una, unfortunately, um, life threw a major curveball at you, Pat, and the family back in 2019. You might like to tell our listeners why life changed so much for you and, and the family, Una, if you don't mind. In, in May 2019, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So as you can imagine, it's... it's um, turned our lives upside down. This came, this diagnosis came as a huge shock to me. I always saw myself as a healthy, strong and active person. I was actually never sick. Up to this point in my career, I'd never even taken a sick day off work. However, when I found a lump in my breast, alarm bells instantly went off in my head. I'm normally a calm, rational person, but instantly I had a very uneasy feeling. I made an appointment with my GP and she in turn referred me to the breast clinic. I had a mammogram, ultrasound and a biopsy, which confirmed our worst fears of breast cancer. I was diagnosed with HER2 positive breast cancer, which is a very aggressive form of cancer. My next step was to carry out further tests to see if the cancer had spread. I had a CT scan, bone scan, MRI and further biopsies which revealed our worst fears that the cancer had spread to my lymph nodes and my liver. As you can imagine, Pat and I were devastated. Our lives as we knew it changed forever. When I look back now, the pain we felt was so raw. We literally couldn't function, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. In fact, I don't think I slept for the first six months after my diagnosis. 
I try my best to hold my emotions together during the day in front of the boys. But in the dark of the night, the tears would flow and flow and flow. I think the night has a tendency to magnify negative thoughts and worries. The words stage four, terminal, incurable, resonated over and over in my head. And all I could think about was dying and leaving my family behind. Telling my family, especially my parents, was very difficult. And then we had the heartbreaking task of telling the boys. They were only nine, 11 and seven years old at the time. My heart broke every time I looked at them. Our natural instinct as adults is to protect our children, particularly when something upsetting or uncertain is happening. But the breast cancer nurse advised us to tell them the truth. She said cancer was impossible to keep a secret. And although the boys were young, not telling them would not necessarily spare them from anxiety or prevent them from knowing that something was wrong. Children are quick to pick up changes in family life and sense that something has changed or something is wrong. There is also a chance that they may overhear a conversation or find out the truth from someone else. As you can imagine, they were extremely upset and worried when we told them. They had very different reactions, which is probably very a reflection of their personalities and ages. I have to say I'm very proud of them. They are typical boys, always up to some sort of devilment, but they are so kind and caring. In their own quiet ways, they're constantly checking in on me and making sure that I'm okay. And I have no doubt, Una, that they are equally very proud of you. Um, and thank you, Una. It's, it's very honest of you. And I know when I asked you to be our International Women's Day participant, as someone who's truly inspirational, I know you wondered why, but I think our listeners, no doubt, will know why, Una. You might tell us a little bit, Una, about the type of treatment you're receiving um, and how you're getting on. I am under the care of Professor John Crown in St. Vincent's Hospital in Dublin. I feel so fortunate to have him as my oncologist. He is to the fore on the latest discoveries and advances in the world of research in cancer. Waiting for my treatment to start was the most antagonizing time. I resisted the urge to Google anything as I was terrified what I would find. Initially, I underwent six months of chemotherapy whereby I had treatment every three weeks. Chemo was tough. Each treatment was harder on my body than the previous one. Side effects became more severe and lasted longer. I wore a cold cap during my treatment, so I didn't lose my hair, which psychologically was huge. The cold cap is a significant advance in science for chemo patients. It's basically like a scrum cap worn during treatment. It's filled with a gel coolant that is chilled to minus one degrees Celsius. The cooling effect reduces blood flow to your scalp, which reduces the amount of chemo medica medication that reaches this area and hence prevents the loss of hair. I won't lie, it wasn't the most comfortable, but I wasn't shy in taking all the pain relief, heat packs and blankets offered to me. Once my chemotherapy was finished, I had scans which showed good shrinkage in my tumours. Generally, patients would receive surgery and radiation. 
But unfortunately, these treatments weren't an option for me as my cancer was too advanced. Biological therapy was my next treatment option. I received two antibodies, Herceptin and Pertuzumab intravenously every three weeks in St. Vincent's. These antibodies caught the remaining cancer cells and stopped them from multiplying. They only target the cancer cells and leave the normal cells alone, which means I have fewer side effects than chemotherapy. I will continue to have this treatment every three weeks and scans every three months for the rest of my life. In February 2020, I was very lucky to be accepted onto a clinical trial called the Caroline One. I take a drug called Naratinib in tablet form every day in the combination with the biological therapy I receive every three weeks. Ireland is the first country to assess this new combination of drugs in women with cancer similar to mine. This clinical trial is actually led by my consultant, Professor Crown. The aim is to improve the response achieved with standard methods. I quite literally owe my life to science and cancer research. My scan results show my tumors are stable at the moment. So please God, they will stay like this, or I'm hoping they would possibly even shrink. And I suppose for our listeners, Una, and even for myself, when I chat to you, you know, when we go back to the beginning of this podcast and we talk about, you know, life on the farm, growing up to UCD, to teaching, to your passion for St. Aidan's in Kilmanagh, you know, as a mother and a wife, a sister and a friend, you are a genuine inspiration, Una, and, and hence I was delighted when you were happy to chat with me today. But I would like to ask you, Una, where do you get your inspiration? Because obviously you have lots going on and yet there's a sparkle in your eye whenever I will see you again with COVID, but it's, you are the, the light of a party. So where do you get your inspiration, Una? Um, I suppose without a doubt, living with terminal illness is difficult. Some days I certainly cope better than others. On my good days, I can almost forget about it. On my bad days, it's like living a nightmare that you're never going to wake up from. I've tried so hard to remain positive and strong for my own sake and for the sake of those around me. Without a doubt, my biggest inspiration are the boys. I do not want them to grow up without their mother. I'm very fortunate to still have my own mother and I couldn't imagine growing up without her in my life. In May this year, I will be two years post-diagnosis. I've come to realize that you can live a relatively normal life while having ongoing cancer treatment. You learn to adapt and build your life around it. I don't want cancer to define my life. While I'm still not back working, I do hope I will be back in the classroom sooner rather than later. I've learned to really appreciate all I have and live every day to the fullest. I try to live in the moment and view each moment spent with my family and friends as a gift. I find getting out in nature very therapeutic, whether it's walking or gardening. I've recently purchased a polytunnel which is my new project for the spring. This will be a real test of my green fingers and will put some of my skills from my ag degree into practice. After my diagnosis, I reached out to our local cancer support centre, Cush Noor, who I have to say are absolutely amazing. 
I've a veil of counselling, Pilates and mindfulness from them. The boys have also received support from them through the, their CLIMB programme, which stands for Children's Lives Include Moments of Bravery. The aim of this programme is to help children develop an understanding of cancer and express their feelings and emotions through play therapy and art therapy. I couldn't recommend this programme highly enough. It is aimed at children under 12 years of age. I've also joined a positive living support group with the Marie Keating Foundation, aimed at ladies who have, um, who have metastatic breast cancer. Pre-COVID, we met in Dublin once a month. This has since been replaced by Zoom meetings every fortnight. It is a safe place to discuss concerns and fears and connect with other ladies in similar circumstances. We also have talks by experts on many topics relating to metastatic breast cancer. However, my biggest coping method, mechanism are the people around me. I'm very fortunate to have such a loving and supportive husband. I couldn't have got through the time since my diagnosis without the amazing support of both my family and Pat's family, our friends, work colleagues and neighbours. They've rallied around us from dinners, food drop-offs, babysitting, cards, phone calls, texts. Each one has meant so much to us. And I suppose, Una, like, like all of us, we look forward to a time when when COVID releases us all and we can get back to seeing each other and get back to the pitches and the schools and, and all the and all the places. Um, and I suppose from, from my perspective, Una, and to all the listeners, I'd like to thank you for, for your honesty and openness today. Um, I think it's um, very levelling and refreshing to chat with you um, and for you to be so honest with us on all elements of life in the Dillon household these days, from the homeschooling uh, to the, the juggling of everything else that goes with it, um, and still the, the key importance to you of everyone around you, which I think is, is very noble and to be, to be credited, Una. Have you any final comments for our listeners, Una, or anything you'd like to, to mention? Um, yeah, just before we finish, Anne-Marie, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you as you were saying, that I had initial reservations about recording a podcast, but I have to say I'm very honoured to be asked to speak on Women's International Day 2021. When you get a cancer diagnosis, the mental turmoil and struggle is as real as the physical one. And as I said, getting out in nature, I found it very beneficial. I've walked and walked and walked and listened to podcasts. I've listened to many people's life stories, challenges they faced, and their coping mechanisms when faced with these adversities. They have certainly inspired me to keep walking, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And speaking to you here today, I feel I have come full circle. I'm honored that you think of me as an inspirational lady who your audience would like to listen to. I, finally, I'd just like to take this opportunity to raise awareness to help stop cancer in its path. I would urge anybody who notices any signs of breast cancer, prostate cancer, not to ignore them and have themselves checked out. I have a lot of hope for my future. I trust in science. And it is my hope that one day research will find a cure. Thank you, Anne-Marie.
Oh, and that's it's powerful, Una, and it so it brings us full circle, as you said, with the power of science and, and the power of a positive attitude, which you certainly have in abundance, Una. I would certainly like to thank you for joining me today. Um, I actually saw a quote one evening last week when we were, I suppose, when I was getting ready for today, and you, I, I thought of you, Una, and it was just a quote that I saw somewhere, and it said, "For beautiful eyes, look for the good in others." For beautiful lips, speak only words of kindness. But for poise, walk with, walk with the knowledge that you are never alone. And I think it's very fitting that you said that walking and everything is, is keeping everything full circle. And I think all of us with the challenges of COVID and, and all the challenges that each family faces, it's very important to have good people around us. So I would like to sincerely thank you, Una. I look forward to seeing you someday very soon, as I said, when we're all released. But um, from all of our listeners, we'd like to wish you, Pat, and the boys the very best for the future. Um, and as I said, we thank you for today, Una. Uh, stay safe, stay well, and we look forward maybe to seeing a few ad graduates out of the boys in years to come. You never know. You never know, Anne-Marie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>